Hello and welcome to the second episode of Back Row Center, a podcast about movies from Film Streams, Omaha's nonprofit organization dedicated to the presentation and discussion of film. I'm Film Streams Communications Director Patrick Kinney, and I'm joined once again by Film Streams Artistic Director Diana Martinez and our Development Manager Dana Ryan. Hello, colleagues. Hello. Hi. So first of all, we want to thank everyone who listened to our first episode. That went well enough that we decided to do a second one. And today, I've gathered the team to kick off an episode all about the Toronto International Film Festival, henceforth referred to by its more common name, TIFF. It's also, pound for pound, a great place to see a lot of fantastic films. It is where Filmstream scouts out most of its fall and winter and even some spring programming. Diana is a seasoned TIFF veteran, and I've been lucky enough to attend once, so we thought it would be fun in this first half of the episode to sit down with Dana, a film festival novice, to try and get to the bottom of what we're excited to see this year, what will be different about a digital TIFF, and what TIFF even is. So Dana, ask us anything. Hello, everyone. <laughs> it's really nice to see your faces. It's special. I know. Yeah. When you see a person's face now, it's like, oh. Yeah. You're so beautiful. Are we married? <laughs> <laughs> this feels very intimate. Yeah. It does, it does. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So, I mean, I wanted to first just ask you, Diana, so how many times have you been? I have been to TIFF three times. All right. Three times. And PK, you just went for your first, the first time last year. Uh, year before that, yep. Oh, it was the year before that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, how was it? I mean, talk about first your first experience there. What was it like? Well, it was it was really overwhelming. First of all, it's a it's a long film festival. Uh, how long were we there? Was it eight we're days? We're there for like eight, nine days. Yeah, and it's you see, time. all you do is see movies all day. I think on average five? Eight, yeah, four 8 a.m. usually is the time for the first mm -hmm. screening, and then you might be getting out of your last film around like 10, 11. Yeah. So it's it's a very long day. It's and you have to like really be organized. First of all, to see you have to have a game plan. You, can, you to maximize your time, and then you to remember all the movies that you've seen. Mm -hmm. Like I stayed up until the wee hours every every evening or night, just making notes of everything that I'd seen that day, so I wouldn't forget. Because I think I saw like, geez, what it's got to push twenty five. It, it was around twenty. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a. It's pretty exhausting, but you get so much done. Like, <laughs> I saw so many of the movies that we eventually played that it was so worth it because that is a part of my job. I have to see yeah. all these movies in order to help promote them and tell people what they're about. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any uh, star sightings? I did not. Oh, I saw, I saw, I did see an SCTV cast member from back in the day. <laughs> he was actually, though, he was not at a screening. He was doing karaoke at a bar what? in downtown Toronto. I stopped in for like Oh, a, yes. Yeah. You were so excited about that. So I remember this. so excited. Was this the rooftop? No. 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 This was a random, very weird It was bar. a sports bar that was near our hotel that was I was just doing like, karaoke. I'm stopping in for a beer. Diana, were, you were with me. Yeah, as, and Casey. And Casey. And this SCTV dude was just there nice holding it down what was he singing sinatra no yeah <laughs> get out of here he was having a grand time <laughs> um so diana what's the difference between your first year that you went and then the third time i mean yeah how's it how's it feel different so the thing about 
TIFF. So, so one of the things that's really great about TIFF as a film festival generally and like why it's one of the kind of film festivals internationally that everybody like looks to as like a barometer of like the really great films for the season is it's also really accessible to the public. It has like hundreds of public screenings. Um, and so because of that, as press and industry, you're just siloed off to one theater. Like there's basically an entire theater that in the morning through the afternoon, it's just press and industry people. Like there's no, like the public isn't there. So you're really watching the movie with other press and industry people. Um, the first year I was totally fine with the behavior of the press and industry. But the last year I was so irate at everyone. <laughs> Press and industry, they're constantly looking at their phones. They just like walk out or walk in in the middle of a movie. Like it is a really challenging film watching experience, especially if you are not into the movie. Like there's so many other distractions. And this, the other thing is like, as PK said, like scheduling is key. Like you have to have your TIFF schedule kind of set so you know when to go where. And then, like, you have to also allow, like, standing in line time or else you might not get into the theater. So, like, they can turn you away if it gets full, you know, by the time they get to your place in line. And so the first year, I was, like, super diligent about, like, making sure I had enough time waiting, mm -hmm. um, like, built into my schedule. By the third year, I was a little bit more flexible and was just, like, strolling in at times. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to sit in the very front. So you were who, exactly who you were annoyed with? <laughs> yeah, you, Yourself. You, you changed. No, but also this, this last year that we went, the schedule was also really weird. So it was really hard to not do that as well. Um, and so because of that, I had to get better with it, but I didn't like it. But I, there were moments that I like walked in and I was like, I'm 10 minutes into this movie. I have no idea what's, what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember from last year, what was your like standout favorite? From last year. I remember being underwhelmed last year. I think my most memorable TIFF experience was watching Lady Bird. Mm -hmm. um, I watched it. I mean, it was, it was a full theater. I was in a row of mainly all women. It was like, you know, pretty, pretty, I think like gender parodied in terms of the audience, but like there was sniffling all around me. Mm -hmm. I really love Greta Gerwig um, as a like person, I think. <laughs> so like after the film was over, I really remember just like kind of being so proud of her. Like this is the mm. movie she should have made. And so I was just like crying and the woman next to me was crying and she was like, oh, that was so good. And I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like this real like bonding moment in the audience. And that was like, I don't think I've had an experience like that before or since. Like it was really like just a memorable movie watching experience. And that was, that was the first year that you went? No, that was the second year. Second year. I, went, I think. No. True. No, that was the first year that I went. You're right. It is. Yeah. Uh -huh. Cool. All right. So this year, obviously, things have changed in the world. Um, film festivals, it would seem odd if it was actually happening mm -hmm. in the yeah. same fashion. So yeah. what's changed this year? How's it going to work? I Who's think in charge? <laughs> yeah, that is a great question, actually. <laughs> We've asked that a few times this week. Uh, so we actually just got the press and industry industry schedule this week uh digital tiff it's all digital is happening around the same time it would normally so september 10th through the 19th um we'll be here in omaha uh watching the tiff scheduled films uh you know 
on, on our screens here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as what exactly it will be or how it will work. No idea. TBD. <laughs> it makes me so nervous. Yeah. Like, I will say that the way that, that PK and I do TIFF is also very different to the way other people do TIFF. Other people do do TIFF as like kind of like... Like, yeah, they're there to work, but they're also there to, like, see people that Mm -hmm. they don't know and, like, grab dinner and all of these things. We are the type of people who see five movies in a day, but not everyone sees five movies in a day. (laughs) Yes. Especially, I think, like, if you're there as as a critic and you have specific assignments, Mm -hmm. that's a totally different thing than us just trying to cover the board so that we know what might be good that we want to program. And then if we do, so that we know what it is so that we can, mm-hmm. you know, promote it and represent it correctly. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's a different game plan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is there any relief in that? I mean, thinking about how this year it's going to be sort of on your own. I think it's going to be different challenges because I have so many problems, as I'm sure everybody does, with distractions when I watch things not in a movie theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looking at what's coming up, though, mm-hmm. as a digital screening, what is something either of you, both of you, um, are just really looking forward to? What stands out? TIFF usually has many films, like hundreds of How many films do they usually yeah, have? So, and the Very press- many. Too many that anyone could ever watch. And so they're broken, broken up in all these different programs, um, some which are like featuring international directors. Some are the gala presentations. So those are usually going to be like the Oscar contenders, like the largest names, the biggest directors. Um, They have a shortcuts program, which is a whole bunch of short films. Um, They have a Midnight's Madness program, which is like midnight type uh, films. And so all of these are broken up into all these different like Mm -hmm. collections, basically. Um, And we try to see kind of as many as possible from all the different ones. Although the gala presentations are probably the ones that are usually the most crowded and the yeah. ones that everyone wants to see, because those are the ones that are, you know, big names, big award um, possibilities. Yes. And who organizes that? The part of the TIFF um, organization themselves, they're the ones that say, hey, we've already watched these. We think these are going in. Yeah. So they have like a huge a board, multi-dozen yeah. person programming team um, that, you know, makes all these decisions. But I mean, it is, it's so interesting, their role as sort of, Kingmakers, queen makers mm-hmm. yeah. in that position because they do have that power to give something that gala stamp. Right. Which is sort of like automatically code for best picture nominee or something like that. Winner, you know? winner. Yeah. Yeah. And the keys for any of these film festivals, even if you just want to like have your eye on like what what's coming up or like what's the most important thing, you're gonna want to look at what opens a film festival and what closes a film festival. Okay. And those are kind of like the two prime um, spots to be. Um, and then you want to see like who has like a weekend evening opening versus who has a weekday evening opening. Mm -hmm. So like when you're like physically at TIFF, like those things matter, whether you like have the premiere of your film at TIFF on a Tuesday night versus like a Friday night. Right. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, but they don't always do, they don't always do the right or choose the right ones. Correct. I mean, we were just talking about (laughs) placement of certain films. Possibly right. last year that or little two yeah, years I ago. Mean, the yeah. year that I was there, one of the big gala presentations, and I think it did end up getting nominated for Oscars, but uh, it's a movie called 
the first man, first man, first man. It's I, not, there's no, know that. That. <laughs> yeah. which, you know, I, I know that people saw it and it was nominated for awards, but I don't think it made a huge impact. Right. Um, it's Damien Chazay or Chazelle, if you want to pronounce it correctly, but I know that I'm not, um, whose, you know, previous movie was La La Land. So I think that's why it was automatically like, wow, we've mm-hmm. got the new one from Damien. Right. Um, yeah. Hmm. All right. So back to what are you looking forward to? Okay, so easy answer for me. Uh, the the single movie that I'm looking forward to the most is Nomadland. Oh, great. Which is the new film from Chloe Zhao, who did, uh, her last film was The Writer, which was my favorite movie of that year. It was so incredible. It was such a good movie. It was amazing, uh, which was about a uh, rodeo writer who has a severe brain injury in uh, in the rodeo, and you know uh, it's basically and it's a story of that. And she's very documentary-ish uh, of a filmmaker. Like it's the real story of that family that is acted out by those family members. This is going to be a different movie by all accounts, uh, or we'll see how it is different. It stars Frances McDormand, uh, which is extremely exciting. I'm a huge fan of Frances McDormand, and she is an itinerant person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about all that I really know about it, but I'm, I'm so thrilled based on the strength of Chloe Zhao's previous films and Frances McDormand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am also really excited about Nomadland, and I knew that you would say that, so I decided <laughs> to not make that my film. One of the films that I'm really excited about that, honestly, I had kind of forgotten was going to be at TIFF, and I remembered when I was prepping for the episode um, it's called Pieces of a Woman, starring Shia LaBeouf and Vanessa Kirby, mm-hmm. both actors who I completely love. Like, I think Vanessa Kirby is just, like, so beautiful to look at, and Shia LaBeouf is, like, mm-hmm. like I want to know how did he prepare for this role, because <laughs> right. it sounds terrible. And it's um, by <laughs> the Hungarian director uh, Cornel Mandrushko, hopefully I'm saying that right, um, and he directed that film White God right. about the dog a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um and so the the synopsis just says, Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf star as a couple reeling in different ways from tragedy. Like, what? Yes, I'm uh. there. <laughs> That's going to be great. That's 126 minutes of them reeling from tragedy. But yeah. Shia's pretty great at that. I know. Mm-hmm. That is definitely like a fall award season kind of thing. Like, nobody's going to go see that in July. <laughs> <laughs> but... Here comes I don't know, November. Maybe this July. November, <laughs> yeah. you're into it. Here comes November. I don't know. Um, I would also say I'm very excited for um, the title, I believe, is David Burns' American Utopia. Mm-hmm. But this is Spike Lee directing a uh, concert documentary, basically, of David Burns' stage show, American Utopia, which is on Broadway last fall. I, b- I guess about a year ago right now. Um David Byrne is involved in one of the best concert documentaries of all time, Stop Making Sense, directed by the late Jonathan Demme. I think he has a track record of working with extremely interesting filmmakers on these projects. Spike Lee is a great director, um, so I'm very excited about it. I wanted to go see the show, but I live in Omaha, so (laughs) this will be my shot. Great. Um, So do you guys get into anything? I see that they they have, like, miniseries. That they mm, show. Yeah. yeah. So I need to know about that because what's the draw or why are they one? First of all, why are they showing premiering miniseries mm-hmm. um, at a film festival? What do you think about it? Are you in? Do you go see them? Have you seen any? 
No, but only because of why we're there, which is for work, mm-hmm. um, and we don't show many series. So uh, typically, yeah. I, I avoided that when I was there. How about you? Yeah, I haven't gone to one, and I think the re- so there was one. God, it's that um, show with Catherine Hahn that I think was on HBO Mrs. or Showtime. Mrs. Uh, Fletcher. Yes, so that mm. uh, premiered at TIFF. Uh, at one of the years that I was there and I wanted to see it but I think it conflicted with a movie that I also wanted to see and I was like priorities right. I should see this film um, but that's really interesting because that actually shows you the way that the industry is changing and like mm-hmm. so many great directors and actors of like award caliber are doing television now so like now TV and these usually like HBO miniseries mm-hmm. Um, Showtime, like they premiere at these film festivals because A, a lot of uh, press and critics are there. So you know that it's going to get in front of them. Um, But it's also just like, you know, they're in the mix as like award contenders, right? Because the Emmys are very close to everything else in the Golden Globes, which puts uh, TV and film together. Mm -hmm. So I think it's also a way to kind of like drum up anticipation for a lot of these things especially if the buzz out of tiff is oh mm-hmm. my god i can't wait to see the next episode because they usually only show you the first episode or maybe the first two well and then i have kind of like a contrarian sort of question do you think that this is a way of tiff legitimizing television or a way of tiff trying to seem relevant because of how mm-hmm. ascendant tv is maybe both yeah but then yeah. also i mean i'm just thinking mm-hmm. about the current state of the world i mean we're all absorbing movies whether they're you know theatrical releases or not Mm -hmm. through our screens through whatever screen it is like digitally yeah so just thinking about yeah the movement from i mean it almost feels like it's a streaming everything's a streaming service right now everything's a Mm -hmm. a mini series in a weird way because we're streaming all that we're not getting to go into the theater so just i mean it's i just thought it was really interesting to look at that especially particularly through this year's lens Mm -hmm. and what happens if we don't get a vaccine what, right. does that, what does that look like next year mm-hmm. for yeah. all of the different film festivals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, this is the season where they're figuring that out because the summer festivals were canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a, this is a, we're giving it a go. Yeah. And they, it does look like TIFF is having, they are doing in-person They are. Uh, they're doing some screenings. drive-ins. They're doing some distance screenings. Mm. Um, but those are only for the public. They're right. not for press and industry. And actually, press and industry have been asked to not go to Canada for any of these. Right. Um, so it's really Canadian citizens only because mm-hmm. we're not allowed in the country. We yeah. are not. <laughs> and, that's, and that's something to bring up an entirely different route than the conversation we're currently having. But um, TIFF does take place in Toronto, Canada. Mm-hmm. So they actually do a really great job of highlighting Canadian filmmakers. So like that's a whole separate category and you can see like the best of Canadian film. A lot of it, especially in the recent years, has focused on um, like issues of race or the environment or like indigeneity. So like TIFF also is, at least to me, like one of the most... See, I think this question of relevance, because I feel like TIFF is actually one of the most relevant film festivals because I I think unlike Venice um you know Telluride is prohibitively expensive Mm -hmm. um I think it is actually one that has the the most diverse like programming team and actually cares about making sure that its own filmmakers are taken care of 
So it's not just hosting this huge film festival and bringing all these tourist dollars and none of that is going to like the local film market. Like it's also used to stimulate like local production. Sure. Yeah. Great. So any shorts that you guys notice that you're into? I don't like short films. You don't like short films? <laughs> all right. I, I'm not going to do short films. No, no. short films, huh? <laughs> oh, all right. Well, Sorry. I was hoping you'd talk about short films. <laughs> we'll forget that. Okay, so two of the things that I did notice, there are two big stars who they're making their directorial de- debuts. Yes. yes. Yes, which I'm excited. I'm actually really excited for both of those films. Um, I love Viggo Mortensen. Oh, there's a few oh, more stars. More. Okay, that, so Viggo yeah. Mortensen, I only saw two then. Viggo Mortensen, Fallen, I think is the movie that he is directing and starring in. Mm-hmm. Um, I love him. Uh, that's it, the end. Um, and then also Halle Berry, mm-hmm. Bruised. Bruised or Bruised? Bruised. Yeah. I think you said Fallen. The film is called Falling. Oh, Falling. Thank you. Of Thank you, Josh. Producer. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I uh, changed the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's better. Well, it Fallen. wasn't good enough, okay? <laughs> Yeah, uh, we also have premieres uh, from Regina King. Oh, yeah. One Night in great. Miami. Yeah. And then we actually do have a film uh, directed by David Oyelowo, The Waterman, which is like a family-friendly, like, I don't know, seemingly like a, like a family story, so like PG, G-rated type of story. One Night in Miami might be the one that I'm most interested in. It seems so... I don't know what to expect of it. I love Regina it is, King. Oh, she's amazing. She's, amazing. she's yeah. It is like a speculative uh, drama, imagining a night where who all is together? Is it? It's Ali, Malcolm X. I think I'm getting this wrong already. No, you're right. Sam Cooke and Jim Brown. There we go. Whoa. Are all together in a hotel bar, mm-hmm. um, and you know these are so we're, we're getting we're getting tiff uh, descriptions here, which are two to three sentences. So that's about mm-hmm. all I know about it. Yeah. But I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I see. I if I was an actor, uh-huh. I would take the Regina King approach. I get worried. Viggo Mortensen, Halle Berry. Oh, because they star. I'm sure you're stars. you're really sure. great yeah. at acting, but this is a big task to direct. Do right. you want to yeah. do both? And also, Bruised has a caveat in the that says this film is screening as a work in progress. Oh, so it's not complete. Is that That's what that means? <laughs> very courageous, I yes. think. Okay, so that happens. That's a thing that, that happens? That does happen. Again, Hallie, love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Do one thing. <laughs> I mean, if they can do them, great, great. Let's what if yeah, we have I just a think it's, Bradley yeah, I think it's Cooper, really hard. Mm-hmm. but you loved uh, A Star is Born. I did. Give Bradley it up Cooper. for Brad. Yeah, but okay, I'm going to be honest with you guys. When <laughs> I first saw like the trailer for the film and knew that he was starring and directing it. And I was like, Bradley Cooper, can you do this? You are in trouble. <laughs> I was worried for Bradley Cooper. Like I, a, really was. I mean, it's like Clint Eastwood does this though all the time. He basically stars in every movie he directs. Truth but, be told, he's a very good director though. Yeah. yeah. He's an excellent you know, director. So skilled at it that I think, uh, oh yeah, I mean, he's Maybe a, a better, better director. director. Yeah. He's definitely yeah. a better director. Yeah. Anytime he's in a movie, I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should have hired someone else. Right. Okay, so anything in here, I mean, again, over 100 films to look through. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything in here you just think, absolute garbage, throw in the trash. (laughs) Oh, my Lord, I did have... (laughs) Yes, bring it. I did have one that I was just like very, I don't think I'm going to like this. And I have it written down, but I don't remember a thing about it. So maybe it means that I'm not as hot on it as I thought. But Good Joe Bell, do you remember what this was about? I, yes, this is um, the new, 
my list. Marcus Green, Marcus Green, Marcus Green. What's his name? Reynaldo Marcus Green. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Gods and Monsters. Oh, okay. Mon- yeah. Me- Monsters and Men. Monsters and Men. What did I not <laughs> like about this? Um, well, it ha- it's starring Mark Wahlberg. Oh, there that's you go. What, that's what a, it was. <laughs> and I think it's about bullying. Oh, yeah. Right. Like a father realizing that bullying is a thing. Okay. Is this a book? Let's look it up. Okay. Is, this, is this based on a book? This does sound like. Can I just, just mention the first line in the signo- in the synopsis? Yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, his beard is scruffy and brow furrowed. <laughs> That's uh, Mark Wahlberg. Joe Bell, Bell is the picture of heartland manhood. <laughs> just look, Mark I didn't Wahlberg. know Mark Wahlberg was in copywriting, but that those are great sentences. <laughs> he definitely wrote that okay. about himself. <laughs> you I'm know what? Feeling, I'm feeling what I felt before again. Yeah, yeah I don't. I but don't. that is such a weird combination to me. And like, this is this is what Tiff is. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the fun of it. It's because you have great director, but then you're like, I'm skeptical that this is going right. to turn out good. And then mm-hmm. you watch it, and maybe you like it, and maybe it is. Oh good. yeah, I could be completely wrong about it. I yeah. could love it. Yeah. Think about the past, like the past uh, film festivals that you've been in. Have there been any films that zero buzz that when they were released? All of a sudden, it was just like a hit. Mm. Were there any like that? I mean, it's fine if it's no. I will say, so this is turning the question on its head a little bit, but I think we both saw this and both had the same reaction. There was a movie the year that I went that I saw that I thought was astoundingly good, and it was (laughs) barely released. Mm -hmm. And it was called American Woman. American Woman. Sienna Sienna Miller. Miller. It was so Good. I, it was one of the, of those 20, 25 movies that I saw, it was top three probably. Wow. And I tell you, barely released. Yeah, I didn't, I've not yeah. heard of that. It was amazing. Except for when I'm talking about myself. I'm an American <laughs> It woman. might be, you might, might be able to see it on Showtime now or yeah, something? That, yeah, that title's Stars. Kind of terrible. Stars. No, I'm just guessing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was like, um, yeah, it Deep was cable. so good. Yeah. And I huh. can see, I can see why people might not like it. Oh, it was a tough watch. It was a tough watch. It was a hard subject matter. But it was, I think, Sienna Miller at her best. And I'm still so sad that it, yeah, it just kind of died. And, mm-hmm. like, there are films, like, that's another thing about TIFF, is, like, there are films that you'll see, they'll be part of the roster. You're really excited about when they come out. And then all of a sudden, they just don't get distribution, or they get distribution a year yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. Um, two years later, especially the international films, unfortunately, like... Sometimes it takes them a really long time to get American mm-hmm. distribution. Um, and so they just like kind of die. Yeah. And you'll even see films that do get picked up and released, but you can tell the distributor just didn't really get it get it, mm-hmm. and don't show it much love. And it's like, oh, th- it's the first time I experienced that where it's like, I have seen this movie and I'm watching them release it and I'm watching them blow it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Bummer. Yeah. So American na- Woman is streaming on HBO Max. Yes. Please oh, on watch Max? this. Nice. Um, I do have a question. One more question. Uh, Netflix, Hulu, are they there? Are they trying to pick stuff up, purchase it, buy it for their site? Oh, to purchase it? Oh, yeah. Netflix absolutely. is definitely Netflix. there. They're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, this was last Apple year. Apple is there. Apple oh, TV. Apple. Yep. Okay. Has movies there. That's exciting. Uh, and then, but then last year, Scotiabank put their foot down. And if Netflix, if it was a Netflix production, so if it was already going to Netflix platform, they wouldn't allow it to play. Like it could play in the festival, but Scotiabank, the theater, that venue specifically said not here. Okay. Um, so not for industry fe- people. Right. 
But I mean, that doesn't mean that they can't buy whatever is playing. Yeah. So if there's something that doesn't have a distributor, Netflix can purchase it and then Mm -hmm. go straight to streaming. You'll see a a lot of Netflix people there. I almost got run over by Adam Driver's car last year. Was he in it? Mm. Well, he was was going to the premiere of Marriage Story, I'm pretty sure. Right. Mm. And I was crossing the street to our hotel and then his car came running over and you're like how do you know this is adam driver's car how do you know that it's right. netflix because guess what they have a huge sign that says netflix <laughs> on the car and adam i'm like driver i feel like is this is here. a security issue right, yeah. <laughs> almost got run over and then well, um you missed your chance yeah and then there's <laughs> yeah. well there's this little like alleyway um that the stars can go into so i saw the car pull up i saw a very tall thin eagle-nosed man mm-hmm. walk by and i was like oh, it's adam driver could have sued him yeah, yeah, that is you definitely should have thrown yourself in front of that <laughs> <laughs> somehow. <laughs> that At least p- get me to the premiere. It's your payday. <laughs> or just pretended. Can I sit up front with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is the seat taken? Rick Looks said, was a tip. There was a great yeah. conversation about the Toronto International Film Festival. I just can't wait to see how it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed Thanks. you can see 20 movies. Yep. Welcome back. Uh, what has just been a few seconds for you, the listener, has been three plus weeks for us. Uh, it's Time been, jump. Yeah. It's now uh, September, late September, and the 2020 edition of the Toronto International Film Festival is on the books. Uh, so Dana, Diana, and I have reconvened to talk about how things went, and we are joined by a special guest, Filmstream's Hi. interim executive director, Casey Logan. Hey, Casey. Hello, hello. Hey, Casey. Good yeah. to be here. So uh, as before, I think we'll hand it over to, to Dana to be our guide through, uh, through the TIFF journey. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, we're back. So let's just talk about how it went. How was the virtual feeling this year of TIFF? wants to go first Ooh. oh boy it's a real rose and thorn situation i think um i will say yeah i tried very hard to mimic a tiff experience to watch films without looking at my phone without checking my email without doing all the things that i usually do when i'm watching <laughs> things <laughs> at home i think i was pretty successful it was really hard yeah I would say that I was not successful at doing that. I had every intention of doing that. I do think I tried pretty hard at the beginning and then it just didn't work, didn't stick. Mm-hmm. I was less distracted, I would say, than if I was watching, say, Great British Baking Show, but mm-hmm. uh, not, it could not replicate the theater experience. Yeah, I, uh, I think I led like the textbook example of how not to watch and appreciate uh, films. Um, for most of the of the <laughs> films that I took in, yeah. so uh, that definitely uh, shaped uh, my experience. Mm-hmm. Mm. So. Right. So, did that lead to any like walkouts? Did you walk out of a film Ooh. that you started and were there like, was Can't a whole finish. day. There was a whole day. I had five films on the docket. I watched one. Wow. Because I would get twenty minutes in, an hour in, and I'd be like, nope. Not feeling it, mm-hmm. don't like it, don't want it in my life right now. It's not fitting the mood. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, I mean, that can be a positive, right? Saves you some time. Sure. Or you don't look like a rude <laughs> dude getting yeah. up in the middle of the theater and piecing out. Yeah. That's always what kept keeps me. Yeah. That is yeah. a very awkward component of the 
the festival experience is being like this. I am now weighing the cost benefit analysis of sitting through this. <laughs> That's why you take an aisle seat. Right. That's why you plan mm-hmm. ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> in the back. I, the last movie, the very last movie that I tried was a digital walkout for me. And I think it was exhaustion. I think it was probably not that bad of a movie, but I was just, I was done. Yeah. I had a laptop die in the middle of a movie, and then I just <gasps> ceased watching it after that. So, do you wonder how it a, ended? I do, because it's like the, one of the most acclaimed like films out of the festival. Oh, no. And it was, you know, I was watching two in a row, and, and then like the laptop died, and so I just yeah. called it a night. And you were like, whoop. Well, that's a sign. The gods faded it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. good. Catch it in the theater. Switched maybe. over to Twitter yeah. and saw all the acclaim for it. <laughs> you guys want to share how many films that each of you saw? I'm calling it 16 and a half. Okay. Is the half the one that you walked out at the end? Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. I am I am fully counting the ones that I did not watch the whole way through. Uh, 26. All right. right. And I only saw uh, generously eight, if you would count the, the laptop mishap. <laughs> so right. I'm way in third there. It's a real cross-hatching. We really, yeah. Favorite narrative and favorite doc. We'll split those up. So my favorite, I, you know, uh, I predicted that this would be my favorite. It was what I was most excited for. I did really love Nomadland. That was my favorite movie that I saw of all those. I, pre- I was excited for it. I mm-hmm. was frightened about what could become of One Night in Miami. Mm. Um, it was a very good film. I really loved it. It was coming out of like rave reviews out of Venice, um, the Venice Film Festival, and I saw it, and it was really great. Um, you know, you have four people playing these, like, huge historical figures. Mm-hmm. Debut feature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, Regina, it's scary. Regina it's a King, lot. Yeah, right? it's Regina King's debut feature. And it was it was marvelous. It was great. And it was an adaptation of a play, which mm-hmm. is not always, that doesn't always work right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So my favorite was also Nomadland. Yeah. Uh, and I had like such high hopes for it mm-hmm. that like I had that the, the nerves when you walk into a movie, mm-hmm. walk in, so watching it again <laughs> yeah. on my, I watched it on my phone at one point, on my <laughs> laptop at one point and on the TV when I finally like was able to throw it to the TV. So like, again, worst possible way. You told me you were watching it in five minute increments on your phone. That's how I began. Uh, it's still your favorite. That's how, that's that's how good it is. Yeah. Which when people good. watch it, great film, but also yeah. lots of long scenes, mm-hmm. single takes on landscapes. landscapes. So like Casey saw maybe a mountain. Yeah. And then was like, um, <laughs> I, I got to stop this. I got to move on. on. Email check. But <laughs> I appreciated what I was missing. Right. And like that is the mastery of, of, of the film. Like, I mean, like really, like like. It, it, it was it was strange to sort of get like the big screenness of it and mm-hmm. you know appreciate the fact that I wasn't getting it and like I want to be seeing this like in a, you know in a in a in a theatrical environment mm-hmm. yeah um, you know like the thing but like so I was really nervous going in because you know when you like re- you, a movie is like really hyped and you really want to like it mm-hmm. and yes. then you're like yep. in that self aware place of like. Of, of wanting to like it as you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the thing about like Nomadland was, I, it was somewhere like, I think it was like 10 minutes in where it was just like, okay, like <laughs> she's got this, this is, yes. this is, this is great. This is going to be great. And I don't I have just to be kinda scared like, anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could just kind of like put that aside and just like take it in. Um, I thought, it, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. 
I actually, you mentioned mountain. This is something like there are much, much smarter people than me that I would rather like hear a take on about this, but the movie is obsessed with geology. Yeah. Like there are important scenes set against uh, like beautiful geologic landscapes, the badlands. Rocks. The, yeah. Mm -hmm. She works at a polished rock stand. One of the characters, like uh, her, there's a big plot point with rocks. She's from a gypsum mining town. Mm -hmm. There's just something about like permanence and impermanence, like natural permanence, like rocks, mountains, etc. Permanence cetera. of the land versus the permanence of like the things we develop on the land. Absolutely. And then also like these are, Nomadland is about people who have learned very painfully that nothing is permanent. Like the rug mm -hmm. has been pulled out from under all these people who are, and you know, as we talked in the first half of this, they're like economic refugees. They are people who are on the margins of the economy. All right. So what about favorite docs? docs? Anyone else for the new corporation? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no. I thought you said you weren't into it. No, I was not planning to watch it. Oh, oh, but I told you to watch it. Yeah. And uh, it was <laughs> it was my favorite doc. It uh, moved extremely fast for me. So I had issues with the new corporation. Let's get into it. Because <laughs> I was like, all right. And I and I had to go back and I was like, I th yeah, all right. I did watch the, the corporation. But mm -hmm. I, I was actually misremembering which documentary. I think it was Enron and... Uh, what is mm. it? Smartest, smartest fellas in the room. Whatever that one is. <laughs> smartest blokes in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was thinking of that, which I liked better than the corporation. I don't know. Like it's whole the whole like the whole conceit behind it of like picking up the the theme of corporations as psychopaths. I was just kind of like, all right, yeah, 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 I got it. But the thing, the, I think the thing that frustrated me the most about it was like there is like really like important things within it that I kind of just wish was kind of pulled out into a different mm. a different documentary because I think like um, yeah I mean I think the whole like idea and subject of public utilities and services that are you know privatized and then you know made profitable and is like like that's hugely important I just sure. wish that it was kind of like pulled out into a separate Right. Documentary. And I guess to like flesh out, so we're talking about a documentary, it's a continuation or a sequel, a sequel. to a 2003 documentary called The Co Corporation that argued that if, if corporations are people, then the corporation is a psychopath. And then this new one builds on that by saying that one of the traits of a psychopath is sort of this like confidence game. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how since the last documentary, corporations have tried extremely hard to uh, I guess, dress up their, their or fix their reputations by uh, affecting these like green tendencies or like humanitarian things or like sponsoring pride. Corporate or responsibility. Corporate, right. thank you very much, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's what's up with the new corporation. You also saw it, didn't you? I did. I liked it. I mean, it was enraging. I, yeah. I think you're right. I think the framework of like, corporation is a person is a psychopath i'm like i don't really care yeah <laughs> like this I, this is the weakest part of the film and i had not seen the corporation so maybe that didn't even like yeah <laughs> yeah i think to me what's really impressive about films like that is when filmmakers can distill really large very topics really succinctly mm -hmm. um so like it did a lot of work it covered environmental policy it covered private education 
it like covered like so many like different facets of corporations and like the ways that corporations were like trying to you know gussy up their exploitative tactics mm-hmm. with like um mm-hmm. you know making consumers feel as though they're making responsible choices by you know purchasing ge or oil or whatever <laughs> um definitely oil. and and, and yeah. i thought and i thought that that was i think it did it in a smart way it was a tight film mm-hmm. i thought i was like this i can see people getting a lot from this film yes okay was not my favorite okay what was your favorite i'm gonna i'm gonna go with an underdog oh all right i'm gonna go with underplayed yeah which is um was a documentary film about uh the gender disparities within EDM music. Um, for any of the listeners uh, who saw half the picture and have um, been on the conversations with uh, our friend Amy Adrian, it is half the picture for electronic music. And it was a really great film. It was so informative. I will be honest, know nothing, knew nothing about EDM music going into it. <laughs> <laughs> have, have some new artists on my Spotify playlist. Oh, for sure. That's Alice in Wonderland. She's great. Great. Look her up. Yeah, <laughs> kids, don't. We're old, okay? <laughs> she has. She sells out, like, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, no, we were like, wow, secret. who's this person? <laughs> Never heard of no, her. No, but it was, really, um, it was really well done. And I think follows a lot of different kinds of women at different stages in their career. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if we think that issues within film, like the gender disparities... It's a, it's a balanced world in film if you compare yeah. it to electronic music. So I'm really glad you picked that. I also got to see it, and I was so glad. I kind of watched it on a whim because I was like, oh, I'm not sure I'm excited about any of these this evening, but I want to watch something. I'm really glad I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely hope that we get to, to show it later on. It was, it was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I knew absolutely nothing about EDM. Had you, heard, had you heard of any of them? No, I had not. No. Tiger Paw, though, I love. Uh, yeah, yeah. Best. Yeah. So I watched a handful of documentaries among the the, the shamefully few films that I took in. Um, and I think my favorite was Straight Down the Middle, documentary, The Way I See It, the um, documentary, Don Porter's documentary about Pete Souza, the White House photographer, most famously for, uh, for the Obama administration. Uh, who has published a couple books since then, has become famous through uh, his Instagram account trolling uh, Trump through uh, visuals uh, of the Obama administration. Um, and it was just like, I don't know, this is kind of like the, my comfort food, these sort of just <laughs> yeah. like really just like solid, you know, documentaries. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I thought it like just kind of, it, it I thought it was really like well structured. I liked that it covered like enough about his career and like mm. what it is to be a White House photographer, but not too much. Like it just kind of gave the adequate amount. I thought like the history of like White House photographers going back to I guess like the Kennedy administration was kind of interesting. Um, and then it was like you know it was a a big part of it is just kind of revisiting the Obama administration, like the ups and downs of that, and so. Um, and crying yeah. inside. Just yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it hits you these <laughs> just different a bit. Parts, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, sorry. No, go. No, because the film is also about um, Pete Souza's kind of like radicalization, <laughs> you could say in some way, or like how for mm. a really long time, um, you know, before Obama, he was with uh, what administration was? I mean, he took he took 
He was in the Reagan administration. In the Reagan administration, yeah. right. So he was kind of like, you know, bipartisan in some way or kind of like non, non-political. Um, and then kind of like after the Obama administration kind of sees the value of using the photos that he's taken to a kind of political end. Yeah, and it's interesting. He talks about like in the in the documentary, like even after all, of, like the you know his work in the White House, that he's kind of like he 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 was worried about being unhirable because mm-hmm. he was like breaking mm-hmm. the ob- you know the objectivity, the sort of like old school idea of uh, of objectivity, um, which was like well, it's obviously worked out for you. So like, <laughs> so you're good fine. job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you know the idea that that was kind of kind of a radical step for him was it was interesting and like one like kind of subtle point <laughs> this is not uh by any means anywhere close to uh the, the tragedies of the current administration but like one of the things that points out and it's really cool it's i think it's really, like, really cool to see some of these like older photographs from like like the the johnson administration that are like really just great like photos and so he's, he's talking about how like you know the access um, that the photographers have, which is re- really remarkable as mm-hmm. like historic, you know, any, and, and he, you know, bemoans the fact that like, that's not happening right now. And so yeah. as much as like, you know, whether, whether you want to forget the, uh, the current situation or not, like that record is, is not being taken, which is, I thought was interesting. Let's talk about biggest surprises. Biggest surprises. Biggest surprises. Um, mine, I think, Diana touched on this already, but my biggest surprise was One Night in Miami, which I was, I don't even know, I guess I'll have to listen back to the first half of this because we did talk about it in it. I'm not sure that I was that excited about it, Um, or at least I don't remember being that excited about it. It was one of the first movies that I watched and uh, ended up being one of my favorites. It was so stellar. Um, It had so many things that you seemingly on paper that were, you know, red flags um, and just, it works so well, um, and I loved it. I want every single person involved to get, uh, all four of those, of the leads should get an Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> they'll just take the sweep the category. Yeah, they should. <laughs> just go for it. They'll have to add two more. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my biggest surprise, uh, I think, was, get ready for it, preparations to be together, on a <laughs> God, for, I'm, I'm, for an unknown period of, for an unknown period of time, <laughs> never been able to get the, the, the wait. Time what? So, one more time. Preparations <laughs> to be together for an unknown period of time. This is like, a ridiculous title. Love the title. Oh, we'll never catchy. remember it. Uh, <laughs> it I'm gonna, I got to come up with an acronym. Yeah, <laughs> just prep. That is not the title to remember the title. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't even know why I like like really liked it as much as I did like it's so it's a Hungarian drama it's like a little bit of a mystery but that's probably being maybe a little bit generous calling it a mystery um and it is about a woman who has been in the United States for 20 years um goes to Budapest for this romantic uh what's supposed to be like a romantic reunion uh, finds the the guy and he has no memory of her claims he has no memory of her and so then it's like all right what's going on here is basically like you know but it's like i i really i really liked it because it i don't know it had that it was like bad weather movie bad weather in, mm-hmm. in during the afternoon movie is kind of yeah. what i was thinking as i was watching it like it's that perfect mm-hmm. kind of tone and i don't know i was just kind of pulled into it okay i think i have mine okay. so my biggest surprise 
It was very, it was very personal, and I'll uh, say as to why. So as I've been watching these films, as I've been watching a lot of films lately, it's been really hard for me to like stuff, especially like in quarantine. Like it, my my bar is very low as to what I will watch, but in terms of enjoyment, it's also very high. <laughs> like I've kind of been thinking like nothing's worth my time. Like, oh, that was just such a like waste. I could have been doing something better. Um, so I was kind of like, am I like, am I just becoming like a cynical, terrible person who like doesn't like anything? Um, and then we saw Fauna, um, a Mexican film um, by Nicolas Pereda. And it's a tight 70 minutes, which mm. you know how I like the short mm, movies. Yes. Squeeze it yep, in. Yep, yep. Um, and I think what was the, what's so surprising to me and, and what was so relieving at the same time was that I didn't really understand it, but I know that I really liked it. And I was like, oh, okay, so like I still like things. I'm still curious about things. I don't have to like agree with things or get things to like them. This was really like a film that I thought was challenging. It was interesting aesthetically in terms of what it was doing in the story. And it kind of like, I don't know, I felt I felt that like curiosity for film again. I'm like, I want to know more about this director. I need to see more of his films. And like, you know, Dana and I talked about it for a little while afterwards and I don't know. It was it was nice um, to see something that I felt that spark for again. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I had that same feeling. Like I don't really know what this movie is about, but I really liked it. Mm-hmm. And the characters themselves are really great. Yeah. Just great little snippets of people. And it's funny. Yeah. And it is funny. And I mean, all the all the TIFF materials will tell you like what it's about, and they'll. Mm-hmm kind of extrapolate the symbolism for you but for me it still doesn't quite map like I get it mm. when you explain to me like this is what it's about I'm like yeah but maybe not <laughs> I read the I read the synops- <clears throat> synopsis like four times and was like was it <laughs> yeah <laughs> but was it yeah but was it but also like it, it didn't matter to me that I didn't really understand what it was about hmm. and like to me it, there's not a lot of movies that I'll give that pass Right, so this especially is one, recently. <laughs> trying to remember the synopsis. This is like it's called Pitch Perfect. I think they call it that in the synopsis, but it's like mm. an interrogation of narco cultura and like the its depiction in media. Supposedly, sort of, yes, supposedly. but not really. Okay. But that's that's the it is, is it? bifurcated though, which is included in the synopsis. <laughs> it bifurcated, and it is it's fact. <laughs> yeah, so the I can't agree. <laughs> so the story begins. Um, there's uh, a woman and then her boyfriend Mm -hmm. um, are going to visit her family and her brother is kind of joining them there and they're kind of just hanging out with the family her the woman's boyfriend is an actor uh, who's on the show Narcos who is actually Mm -hmm. on the show Narcos and so the first um, part of this bifurcated tale uh, (laughs) is kind of his story or kind of a little scenario that happens around him and then the story kind of shifts, and it goes into um, a story between the uh, brother and the sister. Mm. But it's... They're, he's reading a book. And so they're kind of acting out the characters in the book. Mm. Yeah. So that's what the film actually turns into, is them and it's like a film, acting out the And f- it's like book. a film noir. She plays a femme mm. fatale and her innocent sister, and he plays like a... Who knows why he showed up Detective looking for some guy he doesn't know why. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. sounds good. Like yeah. I can't yeah, but like I can't like explain. I know. It's but hard again, to explain. Yeah, but again, 70 minutes, so it's you know I, I don't got know, that. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. I got that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think like it does so much in 70 minutes. And I think like I have complained to you guys in other <laughs> platforms how <laughs> I think that movies are too long <laughs> lately. <laughs> too long for what they are. Sure. You know, too long for like themes and content that actually, you know, cut five minutes out of that. Cut mm-hmm. 10 minutes off of certain things. And I feel this does so much with 70 minutes that you're like, see, you don't need length to do something Mm-hmm. substantive see that's really good because I, I always think that there are not enough 80 minute movies like 80 right. minutes mm-hmm. to me is like mm-hmm. the magic just magic that. amount of time you got a 90 minute movie yeah you probably have cut 10 minutes to cut ten. yeah <laughs> they probably already right. got two hours <laughs> and you never see Need it. help i'll let you know what 10 minutes they are <laughs> so, so you'll you'll notice it you're like oh, 80 minute movie what's this <laughs> that's, Hello. that's different play <laughs> Come on, filmmakers. <laughs> That's different. This is, yeah. This Did you is, have any surprises, though, that you, like, you thought you were going to love and you actually were like, no. Oh. Done. Oh. I guess if we want to do that. Um, we do want to do that. <laughs> okay, we should bring it up. I think it's, it is a good movie. It's not a bad movie. But I was very shocked by some of the things in Pieces of a Woman that I thought were absolutely preposterous uh that took me so so far out of what is a good movie with incredible acting that it's it's all i think about actually are these plot points patrick yeah if you are at all looking at that movie beyond the first 30 minutes like none of it matters that is what happened (laughs) to me that That is what cut it down 30 minutes Uh (laughs) it's over yeah no no it is so it is, I will say, like Manchester by the Sea level difficult to watch. Yes. Wow. It is harrowing. It is a harrowing experience. And yet, what I'm not thinking about. No, I know exactly what you're thinking about. I'm saying it doesn't matter because the first uh, 30 minutes. I think most audiences are, so are going to agree with you. Yes. That it can, it could un- have unraveled even more. And I would have been like, give this. 50 awards <laughs> more than it did <laughs> all right so that this is my biggest regret of miss like I, I i really wish i had seen it i was mad that i missed it so all right what can you say about the 30 minutes that i not- it's kind of again like manchester by the sea i think i feel very much like i cannot talk about it Otherwise, it ruins the experience. I, well, I the description, the TIFF description actually does ruin it for people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't but the, know but that the it first, does. the first 30 minutes is so, so in the film, and I think we talked about this in the first half of the mm-hmm. episode. So you can rewind if you want to hear a bigger synopsis. But Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf are a married couple, or maybe they're not married. We should talk about I don't that. Know that. I don't think clear. that they are actually. It's yeah. unclear. Um, but they're having a baby together in the first 30 minutes. Um, the bulk of it is the second scene, so scene two. Before scene before two. you even see the title on the screen, they do Vanessa not drop Kirby. the title card until like minute thirty four. Whoa, Vanessa Kirby having a child, and at home, it's a home birth. It's a um, home birth. It's a very difficult home birth, and the acting, the physicality of her, but also of like Shia LaBeouf is this kind of like bumbling guy who has no idea what to do for like his partner at the moment like it's it's hard it's and very different yeah um and it's one take right 
Did you notice a cut? I did not notice a cut, but I would need to watch it again. Also, like I was so stressed out, they could have cut multiple times that I wouldn't <laughs> have noticed now that I say that. My body went weak. Oh, it, it, it's yeah. it's so tough, you guys. Um, you can tell who hasn't had kids in this at this uh, table. I <laughs> well, tell you what, after that film, it's never happening. Yeah. yeah. It's um, a harrowing also, experience for everyone involved. I will say it was. it's also Boston set, and I do not know why these <laughs> these movies must be set in Boston in order for people to believe that like <laughs> these kinds of disgusting, or not disgusting, like uh, distressing things can happen. <laughs> you know, like, I think it just makes it more believable. It's like, oh yeah, that happened in Boston. <laughs> sure. It's another episode Classic of Boston, Boston trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Is that my tragedy in there? You know what? A film that I was really looking forward to was MLK FBI, mm. um, which is a documentary uh, talking about the FBI's investigation into Martin Luther King Jr. during the time that he was alive and all the different um, kind of tactics they took to, you know, put out things of his private life in the public eye to kind of, you know, bring him down and, and taint his respectability. Um, that was a film that I did not finish. Um, I thought it was it was actually really well done. It was mm -hmm. great. I just think that um, if you're someone that doesn't know that the FBI did this, very informative. Yeah. If you're someone like me who's very cynical <laughs> and has read about these things, all about it. It, it's mm -hmm. really just um, you know covering a lot of your your basics. And you know, there's really some interesting anecdotes in there, especially when they talk about um, kind of like this PR push that the FBI was doing at the same time through Hollywood and like making all these films about like being an agent and, mm -hmm. and you know, how great it is. Like that, that kind of PR that they're doing through the Hollywood machine, like that part was interesting, but that was a whole separate movie. And I feel like there were some good little nuggets in there that I'm like, Ooh, like I kind of wish I could grab onto that and make a nice 80 minute movie out of that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think overall it just, uh, yeah. It was fine. I thought it was fine, too. I gave it probably, like, a B, B plus. Did you see anything, like, did you see any themes that were kind of rolling, like, running through the films yeah. that you watched? Yes. Um, yeah. So yes. what were they? Uh, well, I think Diana called it very early <laughs> on, and I'll let you, I'll let you take it away. Uh, we call it the formless quasi-narrative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots of it. Is this telling a story? <laughs> Is this in... Three or five acts. Mm -hmm. Are we? How long is this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. And 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 it wonder. You know, like what is the, what, <laughs> what is not conducive about these times to like clarity? <laughs> yeah. To like clear, direct storytelling. Is it? Is it that, or is it just a coincidence that it happened this year? Um, but yeah, again and again and yeah. again, watching those. But even films that I love, like One Night in Miami, Nomadland, like mm -hmm. I think they do fall into this formless quasi-narrative realm where like One Night in Miami is really a discussion. Like it's a dialogue. Mm -hmm. Nomadland is a series of trips and yeah. it just kind of ends because the director decided it to end. <laughs> but like it doesn't <laughs> come to like a you know conclusion really. Well, I would actually very much disagree with you on that, but... Can you like see her life continuing on forever? <laughs> like I don't know. Yes, but I do think that uh, she received. So I think eventually, man, we've talked about this movie in such bits and pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think uh, it becomes a story about. You realize that it's a story about grief, and I think 
at the end of the movie, she reaches a point, not of like resolution at all. It's right. not like that. It's not like that. But she comes to a moment where you see that she has moved past something. Not mm-hmm. everything, but some things. Yeah. So right, I but some things are still unresolved, which is why it's a formless quasi nerd. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> arguing that it is not an <laughs> no, but even, FQN. <laughs> yeah, but even like, you know, the way I see it to me is a formless quasi narrative. Like it's also like a TED talk half <laughs> of that movie. <laughs> like So I yeah. Netflix documentary is a kind of like genre I feel yeah. like is, mm-hmm. is developing and that's that's my my thought with that but uh I don't know like I thought I I guess I compared it to Don Porter's like previous documentaries which I felt were which were on very important subjects that I liked and I'm glad that I watched them but I got more of the like sort of formless out of out of uh the John Lewis documentary and trap than this one mm. um so I don't know. I don't know. But huh. The quasi documentary narrative is is that is a that is a genre for my heart. So <laughs> like so I'm yeah. hearing the critique in this, but I'm like, I wish I had watched all the movies you guys watched. <laughs> uh, and then another, okay, one more trend and then enough from me. <laughs> uh yeah, I think just a lot of government mistrust uh, was running through a lot of these films. We've talked about MLK FBI, uh-huh. uh um, also, corporation. the corporation, uh, new corporation, and then another documentary, uh, "Enemies of the State," which is about a, a truly bizarre movie that pulled the rug out from under me uh, about uh, a sort of like Snowden, Edward Snowden kind of character who was uh, claimed to have government secrets, um, and that the government was trying to charge him with child pornography charges to suppress him, and uh, and then. Then they start questioning whether the government secrets really exist. (laughs) But um, yeah, no, it it was very disturbing. Errol Morris produced, very Errol Morris-y. I would recommend seeing it, but it fits that theme big time. Did anyone at this table watch the Greta uh, Greta Thornburg? I did. You did? did. I did. Okay, you guys did. And was it? I mean, it is exactly what you're expecting. Okay. Yeah. Is it? Yes, I thought so. (laughs) It was was not what I expected, I don't think. How so? I think I was struck by how cynical she is about everything. Mm. Because I think you think like, okay, there's a 16-year-old activist. Mm -hmm. You know, she must really think that she can make change. When a lot of her voiceover is, when I'm invited to these places, I feel like I'm playing and basically, like, they're just, like, messing around with her, and they're not actually listen- listening to her. And I think there is, like, such despair. And I think, like, this mis- mistrust of the government, of, like, being, like, mm. they're not going to do anything, and I'm going to, like, I'm trying really hard, but so many of them don't even know the vocabulary of this crisis that they're supposedly, like, in charge of handling. And I think that, that to me, was, like, a different tenor than I expected. Mm her so what do you guys think next year do you hope tiff is live and in person or what do you think i sure hope so i would say uh, not like uh not like we must do this but i hope that the world (laughs) can be like that at that point um i missed i missed the yeah i missed the line (laughs) Mm -hmm. i missed uh yeah all the in-person things about it yeah I applaud them for like pulling this off 
doing yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Like, I think that's, like, significant. I, I think, like, and, and as someone who's been to all of one TIFF in person before, like, I had mixed feelings, like, being there, because, like, the pageantry of the festival and everything like that, like, I just mm-hmm. totally wasn't into. But, like, the thing about... Even the even the movies that I didn't like while there, like there was the Errol Morris Bannon documentary that mm. you know, like that made me so mad as I was sitting there watching it. But like sitting there watching it in the theater and having that feeling about like, do you hate this as much as I hate it? You better hate it as much as <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> Compared to like being able to turn it off and just kind of uh-huh. like tune it out is just like even that is like such a different experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I missed it. Yeah, I missed going up the escalator that breaks. I missed uh, standing in the line for too long. I missed regretting trying to eat nachos at any point Mm -hmm. while watching a movie (laughs) there. I'm always like, why am I juggling 50 things and nachos? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, you know, for them pulling it off, it was amazing. There were a lot of films that weren't available, but for people who don't know, like this is really like a, like a, a, a rights mess mm. yeah. <laughs> for them I'm sure to be able to get I think um by the end of it all including some films that were not part of the official festival but were just added to the platform for press and industry and buyers um about like 65 uh films that were available mm-hmm. online um and like that's you know tons of people coordinating rights to make sure that all these filmmakers feel like their work is secure on an online platform and I, I mean, maybe one day that'll be sustainable, but I do think mm. like with piracy and everything that's right. happening, like I don't, I don't know if this model um, can stay this way because yeah. people just get savvier about what kind of technology people are using to, you know, watermark these things. I don't know. Like I, I just, I don't know how sustainable this is. I don't know how sustainable actual TIFF is, um, you know, especially after watching the Greta Thunberg documentary like mm. asking so many people to fly to one place mm-hmm. year after year like that's those those are real those are yeah. real concerns just for like the sustainability of the film industry um generally I will say on another positive note I am so I was so impressed with the tech with the playthrough for me, it worked. It worked. Mm-hmm. I yeah. did not have That's any. Impressive. It is. We all like, know how impressive that is. <laughs> Netflix right. has trouble yeah. with it. Yeah. I thought I was. I was really happy with that, and they should be commended. Yeah. Good job. Good job, everyone at TIFF. All right. Are those closing thoughts? I guess those are. That'll close it. Yeah. <laughs> that'll finish it up. Yeah. So as uh, you may know, we like to end these episodes with a quick game. And we used to work in the office together before the shutdown. We used to play a lot of games at our desks. Uh, that's something we've missed. So we wanted to bring you in on the fun. So we are going to play something we used to play all the time in the office. The classic. We. <laughs> classic. I don't know. If Casey, Casey's like, I think I ignored uh, yeah. you guys during this. So <laughs> Which he is, did. He did ignore us during this. It's very fine. simple. It's the celebrity net worth game. We are going <laughs> to, I am going to throw out random celebrities and the folks here are going to try to guess how much the internet thinks they are worth. I am going to preface this by saying all of us in the room are fully aware that this is not how much the celebrity <laughs> is actually worth. This is just something that Google spits It's just back a out. guessing game. Yeah, it's like, it's basically just guessing a random number. Yeah, we don't have access to their tax records. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, in honor of Tiff, I'm going to do some some Tiff related celebrities here. We'll start with Shia LaBeouf. Ooh. How much do you think Shia has in the bank? I hope he's worth fifty million dollars. I'm saying twelve. I think he just. Yeah. Oh my god! That literally just popped into my head. I sent it over to you. It did okay. You <laughs> say twelve. I will say twenty-two. All right. <laughs> Casey's like, damn it. Casey's like, ooh, this was the part of the office that I wanted to forget. <laughs> this is like, so what does the internet think? Like the Transformers movies are making them? Is that the? Is that kind of the? That's basically know. the yeah. question. Listen, yeah. I forgot about Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that Transformers and holes. That's totally money. where his money yeah. comes this from. This is purely on how much money he's going to make off of pieces of a woman. <laughs> No, honey boy, that's really... Oh, yeah, yeah. that blockbuster. I mean, because I think he's like, and I say this, like, I, I think he probably owes money in some way. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. And like, I, and do I, you think he owes you money? What happened? Money. I kind of appreciate that about Did him. Did you like, see the Transformers? The you guys, this is why Casey can't play this game. Yeah. He has too so many we questions. So we need a number. We, need, we do need he's a like, number. He's like, wait, is this after he pays off his debts? <laughs> he's I think gambling. The, I think the internet will think that Shia <laughs> is worth $20.2 because that seems like an internet... Sounding okay. Figure. Okay, it's uh, closest without going over is Diana. <gasps> the internet says an even twenty five million. Yeah, oh. I said twenty two. Okay, mm -hmm. all right, Shia, save some up in the bank. He didn't spend it all. <laughs> Plus or minus twenty four million. <laughs> He's worth one dollar. Star of another round, Mads Mikkelsen. How okay. much do you think? Is this in American dollars? Are we American dollarizing this? This is American dollars. I'm pretty sure his fortune's in the euro. <laughs> it's okay. not in Danish kroners. It's not in euros. It's in a Swiss franc. <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen, here we go. Mads, Mads Mikkelsen is worth. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> do you know who Mads Mikkelsen is? <laughs> if you guys haven't guessed, one of us has a PhD and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's Casey. Because <laughs> he's the one who's like, I know who wait, did Shia okay. pay off his debts before the internet got to his taxes? Somebody does have to play I'm the sorry, game. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. 13 million. Okay, great. I'm going to say eight. Okay. I'm going to say 6.7. Uh, you almost nailed it. The internet says 14 million US dollars. Uh, <laughs> who's earning that PhD now? Who's got a PhD in. Mickelson. <laughs> Macro Center is a podcast from Filmstreams, a nonprofit organization dedicated to enhancing the cultural environment of Omaha, Nebraska, and surrounding areas through film. We operate two beautiful cinemas, the Ruth Sokolov Theater in North Downtown and the historic Dundee Theater. Filmstreams receives support from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Nebraska Arts Council. Our new releases programming is supported by the Douglas County Visitor Improvement Fund. We're also supported by thousands of Filmstreams members. This is for you. All my love to you, Puppet. You're going to be all right. Bye-bye.